Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This might be the last time we see some of you. And no matter what you might think, we will miss you. We will be pleased to see you again one day. We talk about you sometimes, even behind your back. I dropped into the zoo between staff meetings on Monday, and as soon as I walked through the gate, some random stranger is sitting there busily shouting out my name. It took me a while to recognise this former student. She's now cunningly disguised behind much longer hair and a a human shield of toddlers. But as staff, we'd been talking about her just a few months ago and I was really relieved to have her name readily to hand. Faculty this morning have been talking about our departed colleague Anthea. It would have been her birthday today. And there's even cake this morning and you're invited to share that with us because we want to be careful not to fall for out of sight, out of mind. And today's message is a simple one. We spend lots of our classes and lots of our ministries looking back to what Jesus has done in the past. We sometimes spend time, as in Theology 3, looking forward to Jesus' return. And we need to spend a bit more time talking about what happens in between. If you're in Theology 5 and working through the Apostles' Creed, you'll notice that we have exactly this gap in our common talk much of the time. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. But because we don't talk much about what Jesus is doing in between times, we all too easily forget that he remains active now. And this morning, we hear a reminder, an invitation to keep the ascension in our conversations. Speech is powerful, 
whatever the media talks about gets most attention. Whatever social media talks about gets most attention. We can create a news story, a trend, just by talking about it. The same thing in our own formal and informal conversations. Here's a photo taken in this very room a few weeks ago with some of the 96 students who finished their studies last year. Technically, when we've got this labelled correctly, we talk about the service as graduation and commissioning. It's a delight not just to give out pieces of paper, but to celebrate with students and with family the ongoing ministries that students are now serving in. And most of the time we get lazy and we just start talking about this as graduation and our brevity robs us of something of that important aspect. Over the last two weeks, churches which keep an eye on the liturgical calendar have celebrated both Ascension and Pentecost. I reckon we mostly talk about those Christian events that fall on a Sunday or a public holiday. So we get time off for Christmas and Easter, so we have to pay attention to them. Pentecost falls on a Sunday, and so it's easier to talk on a Sunday about the birthday of the church and then occasionally to mention Pentecost throughout the rest of the year as well. But the Ascension falls on a Thursday. No one gets time off work, and frankly, we're often not sure what to say. I watched the chapel service in this room two weeks ago where we were really keen to talk about the Ascension. And almost every word that came out of our mouths was about the resurrection. So we need to keep restoring the ascension into our theological vocabulary and into our conversations. To keep things simple this morning, the ascension can be approached through just two of Jesus' titles. Uh, I'm feeling really bad. It's only a two-point sermon rather than a three-point sermon. You'll have to forgive me or fill in the gap at morning tea. If we want to call Jesus Saviour and if we want to call Jesus Lord then we need to appreciate just how central is the ascension. And in turn, this reminds us that Jesus remains alive and active. We want to keep talking about him and his present ministries so that we don't fall prey to that problem of out of sight, out of mind. There's a temptation, I think, in some churches to assume that Jesus is our saviour from the very moment of his death. It's often how we explain Easter to children. This is why we call it Good Friday, because that's the day that Jesus died for our sins. And even then, sometimes we struggle to go, to go, well, that's the point of Easter and Sunday just becomes chocolate day. We're not even sure what to do with the resurrection. If all the real work is done on Friday, and some churches speak only of Jesus' death, we don't often have even a category for the next step in Jesus' ministry, let alone ascension, exaltation, glorification, session, intercession, return and judgment. But the Bible has quite a bit to say about what happens after Friday. And it suggests that salvation itself isn't dependent just on Good Friday, but on Jesus' resurrection and ascension as well. And this morning, rather than working through just a single passage, I want us to get an overall impression that the ascension is far more central than we usually raise in our conversations. Here's one of the early speeches in Acts. Peter and the other apostles tell the Jewish leaders, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince 
and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. This earliest Christian explanation keeps its eye on the ascension as well. Jesus needs to be exalted in the ascension if we want to call him saviour and if we proclaim that he brings repentance and forgiveness. There's a lot more along these lines. I could delve into passages in Romans, into passages in Hebrews. If you've not finished your studies today, then look for those subjects on next year's timetable. If we want the full benefits of Jesus' death for us, we need to believe not only in his death, not only in his resurrection, we also need to teach and talk about his ascension into heaven because it's only when he appears before God's throne with his sacrifice in hand that he brings salvation to completion. It's only with the ascension that we might fully call Jesus saviour. And likewise, if we want to call Jesus Lord, we have to be careful not to skimp on the ascension. We need to teach the ascension. We need to talk about the ascension. It needs to be a regular part of our conversations with each other as well as parts of the less formal ministries, the more formal ministries that we have. If we want to call Jesus Saviour, if we want to call Jesus Lord, we need to keep the ascension in our conversations. If you watch the coronation of King Charles, that's not him. <laughs> in past generations, a monarch didn't formally take the throne until a coronation. Now, it's true that the UK has changed the law so that Charles did become king the day his mother died. But still, it was only at his coronation four weeks ago that he formally swore to govern the peoples of his kingdom. <coughs> Likewise, it was only at his coronation that he was formally anointed as the one chosen by God to rule. Now, you may or may not think that King Charles was chosen by God, but this does certainly apply to King Jesus. We sometimes flippantly talk about Jesus enthroned on the cross and there's something to that language. But it's not until his resurrection and ascension that he really joins God sitting on the throne of heaven. It's only at his ascension and glorification that he more completely rules over the peoples of his kingdom. It's at his ascension that we recognise him as the one anointed and chosen by God to rule. If we want to call Jesus king, if we want to call him Lord, and we need to keep the ascension in our conversations. And the Bible thoroughly endorses this. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. It's there that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. It's the ascension which marks Jesus' coronation, which earns him the title Lord, where his supreme power is acknowledged. And then we start to remember that the same idea runs throughout the New Testament. We might recall those songs of praise and revelation which are addressed to the one who sits on the throne, but also to the lamb who shares in that throne. When we sing in a few minutes, hallelujah, our God reigns, we need the ascension if we want to include Jesus in that picture. We know this same concept from the famous hymn of Philippians, which climaxes with these familiar words. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yet again, we find that Jesus' kingship is formally crowned at his ascension. This is when he takes the throne. This is when nations start to recognize his rule and to call him Lord. This is when Jesus earns the very name of God, Yahweh. And again, when we sing hallelujah, we are now including Jesus in that praise. And only now, with his enthronement, does the world start to see Jesus' true identity and his role as King and Lord. And again, we start to hear the same notion echoing right throughout the Bible. You know, from Revelation that Jesus shares in God's title as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we need the ascension to ascribe Jesus these titles. And not only that, but every further aspect of Jesus' dominion continues to flow from this enthronement in heaven. If your church celebrated Pentecost last Sunday, you could do so only because of the ascension. Jesus himself tells his disciples, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In John's Gospel, the arrival of the Spirit is for the conviction of sinners. It's for the comfort of believers. And, of course, we believers are interested also in the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And like Acts and like John, the Apostle Paul then likewise links these gifts, not just with Jesus' departure, but also with his ascension. Jesus who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature. If we as a church want all the benefits of the Holy Spirit, we need to teach and talk up the centrality of the ascension. Are you finding this a little exhausting? We seem to be going slide after slide and touching on almost every book of the New Testament. And for an idea that we hardly ever talk about, it's surprisingly prevalent and important. And so that's exactly how I want us to feel this morning. I want us to be slightly awed that the ascension sits behind so much of what we assume. I want us to feel slightly embarrassed that we so rarely use the actual word ascension, even when it's so central to our doctrine. And I want us to feel excited that there's every good reason to keep working it into our conversations and other elements of church life. Hopefully we know the importance of the ascension, and hopefully we continue to see more and more of its centrality. And all of this continues as we live out the benefits of Jesus' ascension. It's not that Jesus doles out the Holy Spirit, then puts his feet up, does nothing, has a little snooze, rudely awakened by God the Father to be sent back on our behalf. But in the meantime, Jesus continues to labour on our behalf. The apostles continue to pray to Jesus as well as to God. 
So while he sits at God's right hand, Jesus continues to hear and to answer our prayers. When Stephen is being stoned, twice it's Jesus that he prays to. When we start poking around, we discover that there are one or two dozen examples in the New Testament of prayers directed to Jesus. If we are churches who sing to Jesus, to pray, who pray to Jesus, we need to be confident in this ascension. Another point that I'm keen to preach and teach on regularly is that Jesus himself intercedes with God on our behalf. When I don't know what to pray, Jesus does. As our great high priest, he continues to assure God that our sins are dealt with, that his sacrifice is sufficient, that Andrew can come before the throne of grace with confidence. And we find this idea of Jesus' ongoing ministry is at the core of the letter to the Hebrews. Hint, next year's timetable. It's also a key point that Paul makes in Romans. Hint, next year's timetable. And so does the author of 1 John start a campaign. <laughs> that is, here is yet another point that's made throughout the New Testament. If we want the assurance that Jesus continues to pray for us, we need to be confident in the ascension. And if we want the sun to set tonight and to rise again tomorrow, we need to be confident in the ascension. Yet again, we can be sure that Jesus is not merely twiddling his thumbs. He's not dozing off waiting to be sent back for final judgment. We're assured that right now he is upholding all things by his powerful word. Jesus is far from inactive or inattentive. If anything, it's we who might become inattentive, not paying enough attention to this recurrent theme of the ongoing activity of the risen and ascended Jesus. We've covered good ground this morning. There's much more along these lines, and I trust you've got the idea. There's a good evangelical theology I can commend to you on this. And I think there's just one simple application, which I trust you've been hearing repeatedly. It will benefit us, our families, our friends, our children, if we make much more overt mention of Jesus' ascension and other elements of Jesus' ministry. The Old Testament encourages extended families to regularly talk about all that God has done. So if we are God's extended church family, we should be talking regularly about the many parts of the Christian story. And here is one more to add to that list as we retell each other of the Ascension and Jesus' ongoing ministry. When you're next on a Sunday school roster, talk about the Ascension and Jesus' ongoing ministry. When you're looking something fresh for the youth group content. Talk about the ascension and Jesus' ongoing ministry. When you're considering Bible questions in groups or on your own, remember to include the ascension and Jesus' ongoing ministry. Finally, as well-trained and, and potentially graduating students, some of you might be sharp enough to notice that we've not actually spent any time at all on the Bible passage that Gerald read for us. The ascension itself is narrated only twice in Scripture. Luke gives a brief summary at the end of his Gospel and then recaps it again here at the beginning of the story of Acts. And this passage certainly gives us some final thoughts on what to make of the ascension. Now, certainly there is that narrative benefit. Luke gives us a few verses describing Jesus' final departure as he starts to turn to the arrival of the Holy Spirit and what happens next. 
Yet there's an even more significant role for the ascension that we find here. And we might sometimes overlook it because here we are just ploughing through the first few verses, this first apparently out of place chapter, because we know that Acts is really about the Holy Spirit and we need to get to chapter 2 and the good stuff. Don't overlook how Luke sets up his whole book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. And I wonder how often we pay attention to these highlighted words. Luke tells us in his Gospel that Volume 1 is about Jesus as Lord and Saviour. The Gospel begin, is about all that Jesus begins to do and to teach in person. And the book of Acts is Volume 2. But it's not that Jesus now disappears and retires from active ministry. Rather, Jesus continues to do and to teach in his early church. Although he now does so primarily, but not exclusively, through the Holy Spirit and through his human agents. Look around here this morning. Look around your church gathering next Sunday. Along with the rest of God's worldwide church, we are part of the way that the ascended Jesus continues his ministry. Jesus remains active in his world, and he also expects us to be part of that activity as well. If you still have the passage open, you might cast your eyes down to verses 6 to 8, where we find some more key verses introducing the whole book. The disciples have finally twigged that Jesus is in the process of restoring God's kingdom. Jesus has begun to proclaim the kingdom of God during his earthly ministry. The disciples finally recognise that this kingdom really is going to become a reality. But Jesus modifies their expectations and says, it's not only me who's going to labour on earth for this kingdom, it's you disciples who are also now going to be the local representatives, the local ambassadors. And we come to that famous commission in verse 8. You disciples will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Look again at the map wall as you make your way out of chapel today and ask where God might have you serve. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus is Saviour. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And yes, one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. And yes, there's a whole lot more activity that Jesus is up to right now. Much more activity than we may usually recognise, than we may always talk about. So I encourage you, I urge you, to keep finding ways to rem keep reminding each other of this ascension. One or two of our church songs mention it, although it's often as much indirect as direct. One mature Christian I know who's in informal ministry simply encourages other people with the simple line, particularly when things look a little bleak or dark. Jesus is still on the throne. He has ascended. He is reigning as Lord and Saviour, even when it may not always look apparent or feel apparent. He sends the Holy Spirit and continues to work through him. Jesus continues to hear our prayers and to pray for us. He continues to uphold the universe until that time that he does return to judge evil, to transform our surroundings and to bring us the new heavens and the new earth. Until that day, encourage one another with these words.
Amen. Thank you.